Born and raised Catholic, like so many other St. Louisans, you could say I was taught the taste of wine early. During our first communion practice, when Miss Birding and Miss Greenlow had us each try a little sip out of the chalice, so when the big day came and we were all dolled up in our little suits and miniature bridal gowns, we wouldn't be wrinkling our noses and making funny faces at the taste of the stuff. But even that wasn't my first experience. Before you call DCFS, though, it was actually my little sister's doing. She was about four. A sippy cup of grape juice had somehow made it into her little backpack that was really just for playtime, hanging on a hook near our toys in her bedroom. I found it. I decided, since I was thirsty and eight years old, to just take a swig. Boy, oh boy, that's a visceral memory. My stomach just turned thinking about it. It hadn't just fermented, it'd gone bad. Acidic and sour and definitely stinging. Okay, maybe that doesn't exactly count as an experience with wine, but in the same way moldy cheese on your forgotten sandwich or an icicle off your gutter forms a spontaneous junior science experiment, it was a learning experience. Fruit could become something else. Years later, you know, once I was actually 21 of legal drinking age, of course, I learned how to actually enjoy alcoholic fermented fruit drinks, not made in a backpack or consumed as part of a religious ritual, and not just made of grape either. This is an episode about hard cider, and if it surprises you that I'm starting off by talking about wine, it surprised me too, stopping by the back room at Brick River Cider in downtown St. Louis. We'll think of cider more in the beer world, but uh, we're actually a winery. Actually a winery. It smells more like a winery. Because anything that is made from fruit juice is really wine. It's just, in our case, apple juice, not grape juice. How about them apples? Today on Abbey Eats St. Louis, consider us your apple for the day as we sit down with the owner of St. Louis's first dedicated cider works. Some brewers had made some hard ciders, some wineries had made some hard cider, but nobody really jumped off the cliff with both feet and decided they were going to focus on just that. I ask Russ John where he hopes to land after jumping off that cliff what kind of cider town St. Louis is proving to be, and the surprise role toothpaste has had in his R&D process. It starts out very much like working in the kitchen for ideas, and then, you know. It sounds like my kitchen, because you make a couple mistakes. Yeah, (laughs) you you experiment, you decide what's going to be good. River Cider Works in downtown West opened up a few years ago as the first dedicated cider works with the production tanks in the back that you can see from the cozy tasting room and restaurant up front. It looks and feels like a brewery, even though, again, technically we're a winery, not a brewery. It does get lumped in with beer a little more because we can it like a beer, we carbonate it like a beer, we tend to market it like a beer. But in terms of the actual making process, it's a it's a winemaking process. And right away, we headed to the not brewing area of the not brewery, where all the big tanks are. All right, so we're pretty tight on space. We're going to be doing a building addition over the winter. Okay. Um, How does it compare to brewing beer? Yeah. So wine? there is no brewing. There's no brewing in this process. You don't heat anything. You do um, it so that you make wine cold. You brew beer. The process of making beer, you have to cook the grain to get it to pop open and release its sugars, and those sugars are what's fermented to alcohol. Mm -hmm. In fruit juices, the sugars are all just available right there in the juice, so you don't cook anything. You don't brew. Oh, okay, Um, okay. So 
what you got going on right here is actually the beginnings of a um, of a fermentation. So this just got yeast in it on Monday. So this specifically is juice that we got from Eckert's across the river. Okay. And put the yeast in it a day or two ago. The process is yeast eats sugar and converts it to alcohol. So this just started, it has about 10 more days to go. So what you're gonna taste is really barely got any alcohol and it's gonna be very much just like fresh apple juice. Okay. It's gonna be a little bit yeasty. Cheers. Cheers. Mm, good though. So that's fresh apple juice. Yeah. With probably 0.3% alcohol right now. Yeah, like if you, if you know that it's not It's almost kind of kombucha right now. Exactly, yeah. It's got a little something that makes it yeah. different. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like kombucha at the moment. Apple kombucha. This is my fruit of the day, so I'm going to drink the right. entire glass. <laughs> About so, how many tanks do you have back here? Uh, we currently have seven fermenters and three packaging tanks. Okay, okay. And does everything Brick River Cider happen back here? Or do you have another location? No, everything happens right here. At any given point, Russ says they have about 10,000 gallons of apple juice in process, getting ready to go into the cans and get loaded up and shipped out right through the back loading dock. Actual production process from receipt of tanker truck to the last thing that we make from that tanker truck leaving is typically six weeks. Compare that to the lifetime it took for Russ to realize this dream. A Midwest guy from a farming family who saw trendy coastal folk begin developing a taste for alcoholic ciders, something he thought could happen here in the Midwest, too. And we had some experience uh, growing fruit, making a little cider. The cider, any cider we'd have made would have been like home brewer scale kind of stuff. Yeah. So I brought in some guys from Napa Valley who helped me understand how to do it professionally, and we... Uh, we're off and running. Uh, of the thousands uh, of gallons of apple juice that go into brewing all of their varieties of cider, from the lightly sweet and classic Homestead to the delightfully different Sweet Lou's, a bright, bubbly blueberry and lavender combination, all of the apples come from right here in the Midwest. Though he's not growing the apples himself like his granddaddy did, he keeps it local. Sure. Well, um, you know, there's both some quality reasons as well as some marketing reasons that you define yourself as just making cider, that you choose to work with nothing but fresh apple juice. That's actually a somewhat expensive choice and is not how most cider in America is made. Most cider is made by rehydrating fruit juice concentrate. So like the little frozen block of OJ that grandma used to get that you would then drop in a pitcher and put water in it and, and make orange juice or fruit punch from concentrate. That's how most hard cider is made because it's less expensive to dehydrate it down to a smaller size for shipping, send it to wherever you're gonna manufacture it, rehydrate it back up. But when you think of it now as a wine, I don't really know a respectable winemaker that would have out there in their marketing that their wine's made from the best grape juice concentrate money can buy, right? It's about knowing the source, it's about working with the growers and in concert with the land. So we really took more of that approach, which drives both our operation, it drives our marketing, and then it just drives why we're distinctive 
from Honestly, most of the cider you will find in the marketplace is not done that way. Russ is slow to hate on big cider, though. He says the mega breweries that advertise it on TV and sell six packs of it in the gas station actually help introduce people to cider, hard cider specifically, making them more likely to want to try his stuff. But cider is one of the oldest um, American-made beverages out there. It was the most popular beverage from the Revolutionary War up through the early 1800s. Um, a whole variety of cultural and, and societal factors cut it back. Um, and they helped it reemerge with their budgets and their advertising. Um, and that reemergence is good. Then, it, then it's for everybody else to flower out all the different options of what it could be. How do you find St. Louis as a market for something like this, considering the fact that we are in so many ways just historically a beer town? And then also we've really gotten into our, you know, the craft beer, the cocktails, things like that. We have all these Missouri wineries. How do you find us as a cider market? I think the craft beverage scene, which certainly got going a good 30 years ago, well before we were around, is, is very helpful because it, I think there is a good willingness to experiment, right? The, the existence of the numbers I've seen, I don't know if it's St. Louis exactly, or if it's all of Missouri, there's something like 50 craft beverage producers. Um, the existence of 50 craft beverage producers means a lot of people have been exposed and are open to experimenting, which uh, wouldn't have been true anywhere in the country 40 years ago when you had a pretty homogenous um, group of things to choose from and if you wanted something different you essentially you drank imported things not things that were made in America you brought you drank European beers if you wanted something different than what was being made what's your favorite part about all of this when you sit back in some days you know I think no matter what you do some days you want to quit it and some what is it that makes you say thank goodness that this is what I do um I enjoy that this is a super accessible product I guess thing to do and that if you do it well which I think we're doing well, you can sit down and um, with seven or eight or nine out of every 10 people are gonna go, wow, that's really great, cool, they'll enjoy it. Um, yeah, there's a person too who goes, eh, not for me, but that's much more affirming than, uh, I've also done some things in the business world where you're, by the nature of what that thing is, only one out, of, one or two out of every hundred people, it's really for them, right? You're selling some weird widget or something that's very specialized and niche. And uh, I don't know, kind of a lot more fun to do something that's, uh, and affirming to do something that's pretty easily accessible and you can have fun with almost anybody. Especially if they're British. In London, it's quite often you'll stumble into a pub with nearly as many ciders on tap as beers. And the trend is picking up in St. Louis. Eckert's and several local breweries are making their own hard ciders, too. It keeps Russ interested in innovating, coming up with new flavors to match the season or just keep it fresh. 
I asked him about his research and development process. Okay, so the R&D process, the very first stage, isn't much different than what you do in your kitchen. Yeah. I, we make a dry base cider, and I'll take that dry base cider, and I'll do exactly what you do in the kitchen. I'll put some in a class, and I'll put something in it, and I'll stir it up with a spoon, and I'll go, okay, that either was or wasn't horrible. And it doesn't mean that's how you would really do it in the end, but it's at least how you play with flavors. Mm, so you kind of like test out to see, okay, well, there's something here. So I was playing with our, our, our Sweet Lou, which is a apple, blueberry, and lavender hard cider, very popular. We actually won the, um, a magazine that is brave enough to call it the World Cider Championships. We won the 2019 World Cider Championships with that cider back when competitions were still happening. Um, I started out with that as I was playing with apple, blueberry, and sage, apple, blueberry, and lavender, apple, blueberry, and mint. And I really didn't know which one it was going to be. And the sage seemed like a little more of a unctuous fall product, which wasn't how I envisioned working with blueberries. I thought of that as a little more summery. And I couldn't ever get the mint right, even though you'll see in cooking, you'll see blueberries and mints. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be good. I wanted to work with fresh product, like I say, fresh mint. And so I couldn't ever get it to where it was either not present or it was crest. And I didn't really find toothpaste cider appealing. And he needs to make sure it's good stuff. Needs to work on scaling up. Because, as he mentioned at the beginning of our tour, the whole effort is scaling up. And soon, Brick River Cider could be flowing through the Midwest. Yeah, so we're, we're doing a big expansion to the Cider Works uh, over the winter. We're building a building over what is currently our parking lot and increasing our production capacity um, about 400%. Um, I had always envisioned us um, being a regional provider. Regional meaning at least picking up kind of go every direction on the compass, some level of sales in all the major metropolitan areas to our, you know, you go every direction from St. Louis a few hours and you've got another decent sized city. Um, we have never been able to expand even statewide in Missouri, in Kansas City, because we can't make enough cider. So we're expanding so we can make enough cider and that in a year you'll see us in Kansas City and probably soon in Memphis and soon in Indianapolis and Chicago. Just follow the points around the compass. But right now, St. Louis is drinking everything we can make. So things are good. Yeah, things are good. are good indeed, especially sitting in the podcast booth once again with my pal and producer, Dory Olmos. Hey there. How are you today? Doing good. I yes. love your like St. Louis flag shirt, you know, very Brick River Cider of you yes. actually to be rocking that. I love the St. Louis flag. I can't get enough of it. I think it's so beautiful. Me too. I love it. I actually have a couple different shirts like this. One of them is from um, Beer Cellar. It has a hop in the middle instead of a Florida Lee. I feel like I can't necessarily wear that to work though. Because there's going to be somebody who's like, what is that? Is what? that a marijuana on your shirt? <laughs> and you'll be like, no, it's a hop. And then no. you have to explain it. And then you're like, oh, man, this is why working in person can be so distracting. And then an hour later, and it's time to come. Actually, maybe wear the shirt. Who knows? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Dory, we've got some food news to jump into, uh, starting with one that actually really, like a headline that grabbed a lot of people's attention. And I, 
unfortunately, like another, it's kind of like the same story, just fill in the blank with a new restaurant. Yep. This time it's Balducci's. The longtime Maryland Heights restaurant has announced that it's closing for good after 46 years. Wow. The owners wrote online that it's very sad and emotional to let go, but when we can't find enough people to staff the operation, there's nothing more we can do. Mm. So owners Rick and Carol Balducci, as you, if that name sounds familiar, it's because they also had the winery out yeah. in Augusta, which was scooped up by the Hoffman family as part of that big wine country development out there. Yeah. But for them... Letting go of this restaurant now, kind of a retirement of sorts, or at least the end of one chapter, the beginning of another. Yeah, and that's a good way of putting it. And honestly, hopefully it means that they are comfortable and that they're going to be able to rest knowing that they did a lot of good work and Mm -hmm. fed a lot of people over a lot of years. Another restaurant that even I have to admit, like it's been years since I've been, Um, you know, it's not far from family, so it's good. And a lot of people are going to miss it, for sure. Um, let's talk about some good news, though. How about like a couple openings? openings? Yeah, let's yeah. get some openings in So here. we've got some updates out of City Foundry. They're going to be opening two new kitchens. We've been mentioning how they still had some spaces open. Yeah. More were going to be filled over the next coming months. So now we know that Chicken Scratch and Sureste Mexican opened on Wednesday. So Chicken Scratch is from Chef Nate Herford. He was... With Gerard Craft's James Beard Award-winning restaurant Niche. So, big name there, a big resume. Yeah. He's going to be bringing rotisserie chicken and a lot of seasonal sides to Chicken Scratch. So, that one sounds like a really nice, hearty addition yeah. to City Foundry. And then Sureste Mexican is going to be featuring flavors from the Yucatan Peninsula, which is down along the southeastern Mexican coast. Very beautiful part of Mexico, wow. by the way. Uh, Chef Alexander Henry is with that restaurant. He said he's excited to bring some unique flavors from his own childhood and family kitchen to St. Louis Foodies to try. I also really like when people bring something that, um, you know, he's saying specifically Yucatan Peninsula along southeastern Mexican coast. Like, you know, for so long, we all just thought like Italian food's Italian food, Mexican Mm -hmm. food's Mexican food. And the fact that it is... um, it's kind of specific like that. I'm looking into Chicken Scratch right now. Uh, obviously, just opened today. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, today. Um, I want to see. Look, yeah, you can get a whole chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, after 4 p.m., you can get the whole chicken. You get a half chicken as well. So when I'm looking at that, I think it's a great option for because sometimes the lines can be a little bit tough yep. at City Foundry if you have a lot of people with you or you're trying to feed a group. You can get a rotisserie chicken, get some drinks, and then go sit outside or listen to when they have music or have events and things like that. It's kind of an easy, like, uh, elevated schnooks rotisserie chicken (laughs) experience, which I experienced quite a bit growing up, was Uh getting the rotisserie chicken from schnooks, but... Elevated. Yes, elevated. As and they then say. take the leftovers home for lunch and dinner the next day. Mm, Always. I have leftover chicken at home. I forgot for lunch. Dang it. Dang it. Oh, oh well. Dory, what's the best thing you had to eat this week? Well, uh, I had a couple pieces of leftovers of uh, this uh, food thing that I had this week. So Jason was out of town Friday. I was home by myself, a very rare home night by myself. And I swear, I was telling one of our friends that when I'm home alone like that, I'm like a little kid again who's yeah. in the day by themselves. I order pizza. I eat all the snacks. I am so bad when I'm by myself. So I ordered Motortown pizza. Mm, got them delivered. Yeah. Um, 
the pepperoni was really good. So that's the just Detroit style pizza. It's a little bit thicker. Um, but the pepperoni they had was from Volpe. And mm-hmm. then it helps, they also had some garlic on top too, which was really good. But I try to be a little bit healthier, balance out the pizza with a kale salad, <laughs> which was very good. But then I was very bad and I got dessert too. I got a Nutella gooey butter cake that was Ooh. so good. And we know gooey butter cake can be really savory or like you just only want to take a couple bites yeah of it. it's very rich yes. rich yes that's what i was looking for um i could have eaten that whole thing in really? one sitting i spaced it out but it was really good oh nutella gooey mm-hmm. butter cake that sounds like gooey 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 butter cake yes, then because it was nutella. very good mm, that sounds so good i love that i also had a pretty good food uh experience over the past week but i know exactly what you mean though like i'm <laughs> i sit there i'm like oh what's something i can order mm-hmm. like and just Hang out, put your comfy clothes on, no Kick responsibilities, hang out with the dogs. Exactly. Like, that's all what it's about. But I had on Friday, instead of doing that, went out and finally got to go to Little Fox, which is kind of oh, funny because we were just good. talking about Little Fox last week, um, the accolades that they were getting from the New York Times. It was so good. A couple different cocktails that were all really good. But I have to say, if I had to recommend one thing, get the short ribs. Um, oh, it's okay. on the small plates menu, so you might want to do that along with a salad or something. But it's thin cut short ribs, Calabrian chili. Is that how you pronounce that? Cal- I, Calabrian? I know Cal- how it's spelled, yeah, but yeah. you know, I, yeah. I'm like, I don't think I've ever said that word uh-uh. out loud, actually. But it's just got a nice light chili sauce to it. A little bit of Italian fish sauce, so that brings okay. up the flavors a little bit. And grilled cabbage. And it's like mm. on a red sauce. And it's so good. Oh, my gosh, <sighs> they're so good. Like... Mm, very flavorful. Like, it was kind of hard to eat that and then dive into something else because the flavors were pretty say, strong. It sounds a little rich but yes. um, and powerful, but in a, a good way. Really delicious. Mm, man, Little Fox. Oh. I recommend it. And um, another thing I just kind of casually recommend here is the Resi app. We are not sponsored. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to sponsor us, Resi, that'd be dope. But um, <laughs> the Resi app has this really cool function where you can get yourself on the wait list. So if you're like, man, it'd be really great, but I didn't think ahead enough, I would love to get a table tonight for two at this restaurant. You can put yourself on the wait list and they'll let you know. Uh, download the app as opposed okay. to just waiting on the email because you can get the notification. And it says, hey, there's a table for two open up at 830. That's perfect Bingo. for people like us who are so yep. last minute thinking. It's like 730 and we're like, what are we going to eat? And, and we've done the game where you go to one restaurant and there's an hour wait. And then you go to the next restaurant yes. and there's an hour wait. And by the time you figure out where you're going to go, you're like, well, we could have been eating at the first place by now. Exactly. So being able to do that from the comfort of your own home and just say, hey, put me on the wait list. Yeah, especially if you don't mind eating a slightly later dinner in mm-hmm. some of these places. I think that that's where it can often open up. And I personally like seeing St. Louis restaurants have wait lists and St. Louis yes. restaurants have the need to, you know, um, get reservations to think ahead because it means they're, you know, people are good. excited about them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Doing well. So um, recommend that along with Little Fox. So good. Mm-mm. Also have some other things to recommend to you all to get into this weekend, October 22nd through 24th. So still firmly in spooky season, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other things going on. I read an article yesterday about somebody lamenting the use of the word spooky season. They said they're like, just call it Halloween season. I'm like. Can't we have anything nice? But we love alliteration. Yeah, I, it's more fun to say spooky yeah, season. So we're on. gonna we're gonna stick with it on this podcast. Uh, spooky season continues. Exactly. 
Well done, Dory. Uh, and well done putting together this weekend planner. We'll start with uh, St. Louis Taco Week, Week, which continues this Friday and Sunday. More than 30 places all over the St. Louis area are offering those $5 taco specials. If you didn't get in on Taco Tuesday or Margarita Monday or... Um, taco Thursday. Taco, thir- <laughs> <Whatever>. taco Thursday. <laughs> um, you could get in on it this weekend. Um, it's a great way to support local. There's a full list of the restaurants participating in our episode notes. And then Friday and Saturday, the very big and popular Main Street Pumpkin Glow is coming back to St. Charles. It's down along historic Main Street. Stroll along all of those glowing pumpkins um, that are all carved and decorated by the different businesses there. And then as you're strolling along, make sure to stop in those businesses. Check them out, support local, and then some of them will also have some items and foods that you can sample. Uh, For this one, costumes are encouraged, but just know that this is not a trick-or-treating event. Mm -hmm. But if you stop by there and you want to do something afterward and haven't been to the streets of St. Charles in some time, maybe visit our friends at Narwhals or there's the Bar Louie, there's the Prasino, all sorts of great restaurants. Um, And another reason, you can check out their inaugural Streets of St. Charles Autumn Harvest Festival. So they're doing all things fall there as well with pumpkin carving, fall drinks, yard games, fire pits, live music, and more. So it sounds like you could kind of map something out nicely if you're hanging out during the day at this Autumn Harvest thing and then go down to Main Street for Pumpkin Glow. Mm -hmm. Or you can do Pumpkin Glow in the morning, just kind of visit some of those shops and then hang out for a while with those yard games. All sorts of options in St. Charles. Yep, and then on Sunday, you can head to Forest Park for the St. Louis Veg Fest. If you've been thinking about wanting to do some more vegan type of eating or buying of items, there's going to be a whole festival for it down there at Forest Park at the World's Fair Pavilion. This is put on by the St. Louis Animal Rights Team. It's going to be featuring plant-based food and informational vendors. There'll also be some speakers there and a lot of vegan products for sale. That's Sunday. Always a good opportunity to go and like learn a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, Because even if you're not ready to go full vegan or anything like that, you can just kind of learn a little bit more about the food choices you make. Um, People there are always great. Sunday, Halloween at Nine Mile Garden. It is Halloween for a reason because it is about the pets. So put on your pet's costume, head to the food truck garden. And it's a family-friendly event sponsored by Purina, Needy Paws Rescue, Urban Chestnut, and of course, Nine Mile Garden. There will be a costume contest. Thank goodness. There will be food trucks, of course. Beer sampling for the humans, not mm-hmm. the doggies. Swag and prizes, adoptable pets, and a rescue puppy kissing booth. I love this because um, if you're like, I love getting doggies dressed up and I want to do something, but I don't have a doggy, you can pick one up and then just get mm. the costume right on them. It's perfect. Little one-stop shop, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if none of those things caught your attention, but maybe you're looking for something else, We have a ton of extra events happening this weekend and through the rest of October and into fall. Check out the episode notes of this podcast. We've got a full list of fall events, a full list of Halloween events. If you're looking for some trunk or treats, we've got a whole bunch of them listed on our website. So check out the episode notes. All of those are listed there. Um, there are just so many options, and they we keep getting them, and we're continually updating that story. I love that. I shared that on my Facebook page yesterday because I was like, once again, folks, there's no excuse to be bored in mm-hmm. St. Louis right now. Um, also, our friends at Lion's Choice are doing the like a alternative candy. So, you know, it's sometimes kind of hard to carry around all the candy, or mm-hmm. you just get kind of tired of it, or you want something that you can – 
redeem later. If you're kind of like a delayed gratification type of family, um, Lion's Choice is once again selling their little tokens, the mm-hmm. wood tokens that are redeemable for um, an ice cream cone. And my question for you, Dory, is if you what was like the mother load for you when you're getting trick or treating or trunk or treating and getting candy around mm-hmm. Halloween? I'm not saying now. I'm saying as a kid. As a kid, yeah, I loved getting Reese's. And this is kind of weird, but sixlets. Like, sixlets are, like, the one thing I would go for first. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that the same now, or is Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. I pretty much buy a bag of sixlets every Halloween. Good to know. Good Mm -hmm. to know. I was all into Three Musketeers. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I'm kind of over them. But now I'm more into Reese's. Like, I'm kind of. That's a a good go-to. Classic. Yeah. It's classic. Or honestly, if I got toothbrush and toothpaste, like the weird house used to give out, now I'd be like, sweet, thanks. You know, there was one house on my street growing up where the owner gave out pennies, like 10 pennies. And as a kid, that's like, that's fun because you can add that to your piggy bank and it was kind of something different. So I like that. I, it sticks out in my memory that we would get that. Yeah. Have you used those pennies? I, I'm still saving them up. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Abby Eats St. Louis is a Five on Your Side production. I'm Abby Larico. And I'm Dory Olmos. Please be sure you are subscribed to our podcast so you never miss a beat. We're working on some good stuff for you all, as always. Leave us a rating and a review as well if you think the stuff is good and you want to just make us feel good. That's the real treat that we mm-hmm. want this Halloween, this spooky season. Let us know your thoughts on our Instagram. We're at Abby Eats St. Louis. We're still taking uh, costume submission ideas for whatever Dory's going to be this year. I'm be happy to hear it. <laughs> Again, that's at Abby Eats St. Louis. Our email is podcast at ksdk.com. Have a fantastic fall weekend and seize the plate. <laughs>